Hey, everybody, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, do you remember what it was like to flirt before you got into your relationship? Do you remember those old days? And then all the little rituals that you have now with your significant other? Well, those are not just cutesy little things you do. Did you know that they are actually cr- a critical part of your journey down the road of love? We're talking about ritual and flirting up next on the Matt Townsend Show right after the news. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. A landmark immigration bill successfully passed in the Senate with overwhelming bipartisan support today. If the measure can be successful in the Republican-controlled House, a new path to citizenship will be created for the 11 million undocumented immigrants currently in the U.S. The 19-year-old Chechen man suspected of helping carry out the Boston Marathon bombing is being officially charged with a 30-count indictment today, including the murders of four people who were killed during the attack. Edward Snowden is not a top priority for President Obama. In a statement earlier today, the president dismissed the NSA leaker's importance. Snowden is still reportedly hiding out in a Moscow airport awaiting possible political asylum in Ecuador. A day after issuing two major rulings on same-sex marriage in the U.S., the Supreme Court declined to take up two more cases today. Despite high public interest on the issue, the court turned out the cases without comment. Former New England Patriots player Aaron Hernandez is in court today to appeal a judge's order he be held without bail to face murder charges. Law enforcement officials are now investigating a possible leak between the football star and a 2012 double murder as well. In world news, as the Syrian civil war rages on, United Nations investigators are in neighboring Turkey to seek evidence about the possible use of chemical weapons in the ongoing conflict. U.S. officials and several European nations have already concluded the Syrian regime has used the weapons. McDonald's is taking a stand against controversial Israeli settlements in the West Bank by refusing to open planned locations in the area. Israeli developers are criticizing the decision, saying the company has gone from a for-profit entity to an organization with an anti-Israel agenda. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program every Monday through Friday to give you some tools, a leg up in this crazy thing called life. And today we are going to be taking on the big the big dating issue. How do you get people to fall in love with you? I actually saw some research. It takes... Um, like something like four hundredths of a second for your brain to fire and the the feeling of love to kick in. Isn't that funny? You can fall apparently in love in a second, less than a second, but it doesn't last. So Romeo and Juliet was realistic. Totally real. And 70s disco was unrealistic when they said it only takes a minute yeah. to fall in love. Yeah, it only takes a second to fall in love. But apparently it's not enough to just fall in love, but there are some tricks that we call it the road to love. We're going to try to show you today how you fall in love. And we're also going to be bringing on an expert uh, who's going to help us with this. Dr. Kelly Campbell from California State University is going to educate us on three essential keys to love. Uh, You know, our chemistry, flirting a little bit, stuff like that. So, And I, I think it's important because, guys, I'm worried about you. I'm worried that you're not... 
falling in love. <laughs> and so the Today Show is what if dedicated... we just don't even believe in love anymore? We're so jaded. Yeah, you're becoming so cynical. And <laughs> I'm still younger than Bronco Mendenhall, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, he told us yeah. yesterday he, he married, married 30, 32. 30, yeah, that's true. So I'm, yeah, I'm, but you I'm know right. what, you guys, you guys, that's Bronco. That's true. Yeah, I mean he's the head coach of BYU football. You all. I'm the assistant coach of the Matt Townsend show. That's true. See, look, I'm the assistant to the assistant coach of the Matt Townsend show. So. <laughs> this guy's like, I show up every day. I board up the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> See, you guys, let me just, okay. It's not helping you. None of this is helping you to like get the, get the gals, you know what I mean? So today's the day. So We're you show, talk up, show, show up to a girl and they say, what do you do for your job? And, and the first word out of your mouth is assistant yeah, interest wah, level wah, 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 wah. just down. Yeah, he's just a helper. Okay. <laughs> there's there's more to life than that. So you guys today, we're gonna we're gonna drill and we're gonna teach you guys how to create chemistry. What is chemistry? Um, I'm gonna have uh, Skyboy do some role plays. <laughs> Love the role plays. We're gonna do some flirting. We're gonna show you guys the proper way to flirt. What to say. What not to say. You know what I mean. Some of us need more of what not to say than what to say. That's exactly. We need filters. <laughs> um, and But before we get into this, because I, I, it's just funny, as we sit around the show, we always hear kind of, I don't know, horrific dating situations that these guys have gone through. And I thought, you know, our listeners need to know. They need to know how messed up my team is. So let's go there. Who's got a horrendous dating story? Most embarrassing moment, tough, difficult dating moment. Oh, most embarrassing? Could be embarrassing. Could so, just be nightmare. I went on a, a date with this girl. It was a blind date, a setup. It's actually a funny story. My roommate wanted to set me up with some girl he knew. Like his sister? Well, no. <laughs> That's another story. He wanted to set me up with a, a friend of his that he knew from before. Yeah. And he, he didn't have her number anymore, so he called her roommate. And she's like, oh, no, she's out of town. She's she like on died. study abroad, but I'm available. <laughs> oh, boy. And so I ended up going on a date with this girl that was she never the girl I was supposed <laughs> to go out with. And we went to Laser Tag for the first date. Okay. Which is that bad idea. Like you, know, like, you get super sweaty and stuff. Well, and it's dark. And all yeah. you're really trying to do is shoot each other? Yeah, well, I'm really good at laser tag, as evidenced by our uh, work laser tag event last yeah, week, and in your which trophy. my team went 2-0. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I whipped around a corner with my gun out and hit her just right in the face Blinded with, the, her. with the gun of the is laser that tag. the blind date? That's where the blind yeah, date came Yeah, to. hit her right in the face. So <laughs> With lasers? With, with, a, with a laser gun. Oh, my gosh. Even worse. So that was pretty embarrassing. Although, honestly, by that point, I already knew the date wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was that upset about it. I just felt bad that I hit some girl in the face. <laughs> Sorry. I bl- At well, least it wasn't a, uh airsoft. What was the name of the gun? The the paintball gun. Yeah. Could have that would have been worse. Well, yeah. laser tag's no good because you just let them loose and you don't see them for several hours. In this case, that was a good thing. But if you're antisocial, that's a great date. Because yeah, you can just go hide in some corner. Well, Here's like, I have a problem. I like competitive first dates because you, you can get that like whole yeah, flirty chemistry, yeah. chemistry thing going. See, that's how you that fake case, chemistry. You, you laser tag is not a good thing for my competition, my competitive right. edge because I'm like the Michael Jordan of laser tag. Like, really? You, if you <laughs> if you come at me, like I will fight back, and so it just it turned out not to be. Yeah, well, like if you get really aggressive and then end up hurting her. That kind of yeah, I was way more into the idea of me winning than of <laughs> than this you know, date having a second date. date exactly. That's pretty horrific for her. It sounds like 
Yeah, well, she had a black eye for a while. So, <laughs> so sad. So sad. Sorry, Skyboy. I know you've got one, man. Um, I've you, got... You're a dating machine. I'm a dating machine. Do any of your dates not work? Do any like... of them involve not sneaking out of your parents' house? Yeah, that was when I was 16. <laughs> now no. I don't have to sneak out. Now I, I just, just walk I can just out. Go on. I can just walk out. There's yeah. no sneaking involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had. Um, I've had embarrassing dating moments. I've had bad dates. I've had awkward dates. Let's but... start with some embarrassing ones. Those <laughs> are just fun for me. <laughs> um, the Well, I guess this is kind of awkward. I was embarrassed and awkward. I felt awkward the entire time. And it was actually your date, Matt, your what? dating night. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. the, my I date know I've night. talked to you this about was this a big before. Moment. We've talked about this so before. So I do these but that date was... nights. I do a big event uh, here in town and... That, and then a bunch of people come. I think to that one, there was like 1,100 people. Was that the one? It yeah. was in, on Valentine's Day. It was and, on Valentine's and Day. And I invited everybody from the team to come. But every So the date night's called Reigniting the Spark. And so it's usually for married couples that have been married for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bother. I didn't say anything. You didn't say anything about that before the date. Yeah. So you, got a, you brought a date, a blind date. A blind date. Well, did she have a black eye? Had she been out with Ben? She did have a black eye. She mentioned something about yeah, I was just a bad <laughs> black eye date. Um, so I take a blind date, and you actually said I could bring a friend because my friend had a date, and he was looking for something to do. So I, I was bringing a friend. So it was a date, double blind date. Double blind date. The only person I knew well was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm getting ready to leave, and my friend had to go pick up his date in Salt Lake because yeah. she lived there. And he calls me. Like, as I'm on my way to pick up this girl, and he says, do you know what this thing's about? I was like, well, it's Matt Townsend. I don't, I don't know. It's for... It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I don't know what it is. He's like, it's called reigniting the spark in your marriage or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so his date was already uh, feeling awkward. That is And I had classic. no idea. So we, so we show up anyways, and I think we were the only single people there besides, yeah, you besides your children. Yeah. And they were smart enough not to bring a date. And they were just there to play the music. But at the end, <laughs> at the end, I have everyone stand up and they dance to a song. You're supposed to look your what, date in the song? eye. Um, it's uh, that Lennon song, Girl Old With Me. <laughs> and um, you're supposed to look in your partner's <laughs> eyes. So Skyboy's back there like dying. It was so awkward. But it you was did it. horrible. Did you do it? Uh, well, everybody stood up. We didn't <laughs> dance. Loser. We just... You, Dude, s- you said we didn't have to I know, dance. but do you know the ki- I know, but that was for the people that are on the verge of divorce. <laughs> Not these young It was couple. a blind date. I Dude, didn't even know her. That would, I know, but I would, that would have sealed the deal. I, I don't you know if I, I don't think I girl. wanted to seal the deal, though. Oh. So. Rude. Yeah. Well, and I then mean, you came teach- up to me after, and you had this look on your face like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate your guts. Well, then you made fun of my shirt. Yeah. You, I showed up to your date. In a t-shirt. It wasn't a t-shirt. It was a nice shirt. It didn't have buttons. That was your problem. Yeah, a button. There can be shirt. nice shirts without buttons. Yeah, sure. I think this shirt I'm wearing is pretty nice. But I think yours like had Adidas on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it said that. Didn't Couldn't it? even go with like Nike or yeah, something. Nike. It had to be Adidas. If you're going to go high end, do Under Armour. Okay, next time I'll wear an Under Armour. <laughs> <laughs> not Adidas. Well, that's not a bad. So that was an embarrassing date. Yeah, embar- it, was, it was mostly awkward and a and little embarrassing. Have you talked to this young lady since? I ran into her on campus once since then. Is there still a spark? I think she texted me. No. Did we reignite I don't, a spark? I don't think there was a spark to begin with. Maybe you're sparkless. Maybe I'm just sparkless. <laughs> oh, that's just sad. Maybe your next one should be getting a spark Yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Not reigniting. 
for those, yeah, uh, we'll just call it gasoline and a lighter. Then you don't need a spark. You spark just spark plug. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I ruined that. Was, I'm sorry I created one of the most embarrassing dates of your life. Oh, so it wasn't. It wasn't as embarrassing as it was awkward. I'm. I'm really over it. Oh yeah. It's a good story. You haven't dated since though, have you? No, that was my last date. <laughs> I'm terrified now. Pitiful. That's not true, <laughs> man. Robbie, you got one for well, you us. You got to be careful because one bad date could send you into hiatus for a while. Um, I mean, I, my, my first date was a group date back in high school, and we just all assumed everybody else in the group had planned it. <laughs> so we showed up, and we thought, well, what, what are we going to do? I don't know. I think maybe we go bowling or something. Okay, where's the bowling alley? I don't know. And it just kind of went that way for several hours. It was so bad, I didn't go on another date for seven years. Are you serious? That wasn't quite that bad. But <laughs> you went on a sabbatical. <laughs> but, but, you know, you have a negative experience like that. You think, oh, well, I can go to all this trouble. It's awkward. I can ask somebody out. And you get it, you know. Oh, my it heavens. Did. I haven't dated in so long. I can't even understand this. You I couldn't handle a date right now. I wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know about, you know, the texting after the date. Oh, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know about How to keep all the fire things. alive It's just a there. big game. Is it a game? It's, it's a just a game. game. Is that what you, is it, I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? Is that your dating is... I don't know if that's part of the problem. That is the that problem. That is the problem. Because you're like, we're both positioning ourselves to not be hurt, but we kind of have to be hurt if we want to make this work. And We'd you also be vulnerable. Have to, you have to play the game of... I whoever, don't really like. Yeah, that whoever's le- the less interested is in charge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's sad. just a it's a game to decide. It's a lot who's of the beating around interested. the bush. How, yeah. What does flirting look like today? See, as a kid, flirting is like name calling. It looks like this. Boop 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 boop. Just on your just texting. <laughs> on is that phone. the flirt? That's the flirt. Like, would you say, "Hey, that was a really fun date"? What? How do you flirt back and say? How do you like kind of say, "I really like that." So there's this whole thing, right? The post date text. That's like a big thing. If you get right. that from the girl, you're in. If you get that in. from the girl, you're It's like in. a post mortem. Well, yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. It actually, went well. Yes. Me, like, me like mucho. Post mortem is a good metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> After um, the death. Yeah, it, it's, you know, if you get the text, if you go on the date and then you drop the girl off and you get the, the text afterward that says, hey, I had a great time or yeah. whatever, that's 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 your, a good sign. You're in. What if you don't get a text? Then you're out. That's and- every date I've <laughs> ever been on. <laughs> no, are you serious? Actually, except for one, except for one, and that girl went on to date somebody else after me and was married by July. Like, it just... But she, so, so if you get the text, then you got to jump in. What other games do they play? Because that's – I'd be sick of the games. Like I'd be sick of – You think? I'd, well, I'd be sick of thinking that – I know people that everybody keeps the illusion that they liked you alive. So you're kind of thinking they liked you. And then all of a sudden you find out later they're dating someone else. You know what I mean? Do they oh, still yeah. do that? In my day, they, you wanted all your options open. So you just you never really closed anything out. Well, there's also that thing that no one can just be direct, right? No yeah. one can just I don't say want to hurt your feelings. No one can just say, "Hey, you're a great person and all, but I'm just not interested in you romantically." It can't be that. Yeah. It's got to be either like I, stop returning your calls, or it's more like you're passive. Or when you ask them out, they're like, "Oh, I would, but I have something else going on. I'm washing my hair. I have something else going on that night, so I can't that night." And oh, then man. you're like, "Oh, well, then another night." And they're like, "Oh, I have something going on that night too." Like, you could have just been like, "Hey, actually, I'm not interested." <laughs> you know, that, why does it have to be like a game? Well, why can't we it just can be plan way direct? ahead? What plus, are you doing in a month? Plus, if they really do like you, then they play the opposite card and right. they act like they don't exactly. like you for a really long time. 
Right. Do, so, if, so if they like you, they're pretending like they don't like you. If they don't <sighs> like you, they're pretending like they kind of do. They, they kind of do. Can't. They just can't. It's it's it's. But it's is this a just disaster. campus? Is this what you see in a closed environment on campus, or do you think this is like real to the world? Because like it seems like there's not enough fish out there. So if you get one on, we're gonna reel it in. We're gonna see what size it is. We're gonna like it, not like it. Throw it back. I don't know anything about fishing. I don't know. Um, it just seems like these people are all kind of I think, I think playing can, with you. I think more it can be is. around the world. Have you seen the Seinfeld episode about getting getting the hand, getting the hand, getting the upper hand? Uh-uh. And George has no hand in his relationship because she's in charge. <laughs> she wears the pants. She wears the pants, and he's trying to get the upper hand. I think yeah. that's I think that's dating. That is dating because we're all pretending like we're not interested, and just like Ben said, the person who's not interested is the person in charge. Interesting. So then you don't even know if we have chemistry because you think we do, but and she may even think you do, but then we're all pretending like we don't because you want to act like because the rule is whoever cares the cool. least has the most power. So if you don't seemingly care, then you're more powerful in the relationship. Yeah. Plus, if you act like you don't care, it makes it seem like you have a lot more options besides that person. That's messed up. And it's like, eh, I don't really care because I've got all these other people. And then you makes you think that they'll then fight that much harder for you and it'll be easier for you. See? So another dating experience. I, I was dating this girl. We'd been on a couple of dates and we were calling each other and texting and seeing each other every day. And so you were it in. Was, it, was, it was in. And then uh, one night I didn't get any texts from her for like two hours, two or three hours. Like I texted her. She didn't respond. I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what she was, where she was or what she was doing. Well, my roommate saw her at the creamery with some other guy. <laughs> she said, get nice They cream. talked to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm on a date. And so then he comes back and tells me, obviously, and I get super jealous and super like, oh, forget her. Yeah. But in real life, I'm. You want I'm, her. I, I want her even more. And then we ended up dating for a long time after that. And she told me that she did that. She was not on a date. She was just some she old friend. She was playing But she did that you. on purpose so he would tell me that she was on a date so that I would get more jealous and Messed want her even more. up. No wonder you're all single. I should have known then she didn't have a soul. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the problem is? Texting. Yeah. Because it's not I honestly as think, because you can read people's faces, it's harder to, you know. Yeah. But texts... You get a message like, thanks for the date, period. You think, oh, it's only a period, not an exclamation point. Yeah. Maybe they yeah. hate me. But she said thanks. It's like we all become amateur probably, linguistics, trying yeah. to break, uh, linguists trying to stupid. break it down. Just See, it used why? to be you'd have a call. Uh, you know what? It used to be we'd actually say something when we drop you off. Like, hey, I love that. Let's do this again soon. Let's do it tonight. What are you doing tomorrow? Yeah, but Will then you marry if, me? If, Stuff like that. Yeah, if that happens, but you, you don't get the text afterwards – Still doesn't count. You're like, oh, that didn't count. That that wasn't. You see why we'd rather just stay at home and watch basketball? (laughs) Oh, for sure. Unless it was the Spurs championship. Come on, Uh, uh, too soon. Way too soon. I'd say basketball's (laughs) never broken my heart, but it has. (laughs) That's actually a fair point. Has broken my heart. It's a heartbreaking loss. (laughs) Oh man. Okay, this is more complicated than I ever thought. So that's why we're going to bring on an expert. When we come back, we're going to get into. Bryce has a rant. The rant. We're going to hear Bryce. Who better to rant on the dating life than our own Bryce Tobin? We're also going to be talking to Dr. Kelly Campbell from California State University. She's going to teach us the road to love, all the way from flirting, building chemistry, to the rituals that make relationships last. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Will future Mars rovers look like gigantic tumbleweeds? We'll take a look. This is Innovation Now. 
bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Boxy rovers with multiple wheels or tank treads are what people usually imagine for a practical Mars exploration rover. But numerous scientists and engineers are looking at some far-out alternatives. One idea is a rover that would be blown around the Martian surface by winds for years. While its path might be random, a tumbleweed rover doesn't need the weight and complexity of a drive system, making it affordable to send many more rovers to cover wider areas on Mars. But Mars has a thin atmosphere, it's only as thick as Earth's. If you were flying at 100,000 feet, would winds even be strong enough to move a tumbleweed rover on Mars? Two professors from North Carolina State University, supported by a NASA grant, have built a computer model to simulate tumbleweed rovers in Mars-like conditions. A Martian tumbleweed would need to be a ball at least 6 meters across to move well and not get stuck by small rocks. One of the next steps is picking materials and techniques for making such a rover. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. World News. Uru Kenyatta was sworn in as Kenya's fourth president. Secretary of State John Kerry is meeting in London today. It's the latest threat North Korea's leaders have made. U.S. leaders are offering aid. You get sound bites from the news, but with notes from the Kennedy Center, you can join diplomats and scholars as they go deeper into the affairs of the world. Notes from the Kennedy Center airs weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Take a lesson on parenting from world-traveling family coaches Richard and Linda Iyer. The key, I think, is finding the balance between avoiding that overprotectiveness but never, never being, I guess, what we could call an ostrich parent where you got your head in the sand. Iyer's on the Road airs weekdays at 6.30 Eastern, only here on BYU Radio. BYU baseball, football, basketball, soccer, and volleyball. Live games on BYU Radio and BYU TV. To get your business involved as a sponsor of Cougar Sports, email corporate support at byu.edu. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, you know, this relationship stuff is pretty hard. And who knows? Who knows what works? Because that's the thing. This is a changing deal. What works for one date doesn't work for another. What works for one person doesn't work for another. Some things universally don't work, though, like hitting your date in the face with a laser tag gun. Or like asking a woman if she's pregnant. Yeah. Stuff like that. Is that your bad dating experience? (laughs) (laughs) I asked that on my third date. Hey, are you pregnant? She's like, I hate you. Um, There's just some things you don't do. But our great Bryce Tobin has gone out and put a rant together. This is one that uh, he did for us a while ago. But it's basically if that old wives tale or that old adage that you should just be yourself, he's going to tell us if that really holds up or not. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. 
Ladies, we guys are trying to do things right, but there's something that's a little unclear. I hear it all the time. Just be yourself. That's all you got to do. If you be yourself, she'll fall for you. Ah, 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 hold your horses. You say be yourself, but experience tells me a whole other story. I get the basis of the statement. Be honest. Don't be someone that you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But when you say be yourself, what you're really saying is be your most socially acceptable self. Date scenario one. You go out as your most socially acceptable self. You dress in a buttoned-up shirt, maybe a tie, maybe not, slacks, or maybe some nice jeans if there's going to be some movement on this date. You pull up in a white or silver four-door sedan that probably isn't American-made. Along the drive, you might have a mainstream radio station playing at low volume, but in the very least, you won't have any of your music playing. And you'll go to a Mexican or Italian sit-down place for somewhere around $8 to $14 a plate. You'll order a steak in response to the salad that she ordered. You'll do the normal get-to-know-you questions like... Where'd you grow up? What did you do in college? What's your job? Stuff like that. And you'll give informative answers with a little spin to make it seem more interesting than it is. You'll say you grew up in a major city when really all you did was live in the suburbs of that city's major metropolitan area. In college, you'll say you majored in something like evolutionary psychology instead of just psychology to make it seem less boring. And when it comes to work, you'll make yourself sound important instead of the low-end drone that you really are. Date's over, and then there's a bunch of subsequent dates, and then you're together for the rest of your lives. What? Okay, how about date scenario number two? This one's gonna be a little different. In this one, you decide to be your absolute self. How are you dressed? Blue jeans, white t-shirt, facial scruff, white socks, sneakers. Simple, comfortable, functional. When you drive up to her place, you're not in some fuel-efficient, sensible car. You're in your 11-year-old used mid-sized SUV that was raised 4 inches by the previous owner, had the stereo system replaced with some obnoxiously loud speakers, and a bumper that you just had replaced that happens to be the wrong color. Speaking of speakers, you have your music plugged in and possibly playing too loud, enough that you'll regret the choice once you're in your 60s. Once she's in your car, you don't turn down the music because 95% of your driving is done under those same conditions. So when you get to the restaurant, it's a Japanese sushi place. Want to know why? Because that's where you go when you go out to eat. You don't care that the menu's in Japanese. Neither of you can understand it, but it's still good despite how expensive it is. Once it becomes the Q&A portion of dinner, she'll ask you what kind of movies you like. And you're going to tell her the original three Star Wars movies because they're fantastic, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies because they were flawless, and those indie movies that have awkward, semi-unresolved endings. When she asks what kind of music you like, you're going to tell her that you really enjoy Scandinavian progressive metal because it combines modes, polyrhythms, time changes, and Middle Eastern musical stylings that make the bland Western European music that we're constantly inundated with sound like childish rubbish. And then once the date's over, you'll drive her home, say bye, and then go home, and then... And then, well, nothing. Forever alone. That's the result of this scenario. So, do you see why I'm a little, well, lost? Alright, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Lost is a good word to put it there, don't you think? He is a little lost. No wonder he's not married. That guy's messed. Well, he's right now he's not even here because he's listening to Scandinavian progressive rock. <laughs> he is. He's in Hawaii on a beach singing Scandinavian rock. Um, here's the deal. Every one of us are kind of bait and switching each other. We don't. We can't just come right out of the gate, right? That's his point. We have to be our most socially acceptable self. Then once we've got you, we're going to slowly take off the facade, <laughs> and we're going to show you that squishy little nugget that's on the inside of us. And uh, then, you know, that's called the mate and switch. Once we're mated and we're together, boom, I'm going to switch the deal, and then you're mine forever. That's sad. And then you, you slowly go down the other road where it's no longer about chemistry and flirting and love. Then it's more just about depression anxiety, obsession, and divorce. 
No, we're going to show you how to break it. We're coming back. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Kelly Campbell, who's a professor at Cal State University, who's going to teach us about how to get chemistry and flirting and rituals going. Keep the love alive. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. And what a song. Every time it was recorded, it stopped my world for a while. Ron Simpson is passionate about music and knows a good song when he hears one. I'm plenty old enough to realize this is something new, something pretty cool, something important. Join him as he takes a closer look into the songs and musicians he knows and loves. Trying to analyze the chords and figure out why the song communicates such an incredible mood. The Tantara Hour, weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. Success for the Senate immigration bill today, with overwhelming bipartisan support helping pass the measure. If the bill is passed in the House, millions of undocumented immigrants will have a new path to U.S. citizenship. The 19-year-old Chechen man suspected of helping to carry out the Boston Marathon bombing earlier this year is being officially charged today with a 30-count indictment, including the murders of the four people who were killed due to the attack. Edward Snowden is not a top priority for the Obama administration. In a statement earlier today, President Obama said the U.S. has not been working to make any deals to get the NSA leaker back. The president also defended the legality of the NSA program Snowden revealed. A day after issuing two major rulings on same-sex marriage in the U.S., the Supreme Court declined to take up two more cases. Despite high public interest on the issue, the court turned down the cases without comment. Former New England Patriots player Aaron Hernandez is in court today to appeal a judge's order he be held without bail to face murder charges. Law enforcement officials are now investigating a possible link between the football star and a 2012 double murder as well. In world news, as the Syrian civil war rages on, United Nations investigators are in neighboring Turkey to seek evidence about the possible use of chemical weapons in the ongoing conflict. U.S. officials and several European nations have already concluded the Syrian regime has used these weapons. Fast food chain McDonald's is taking a stand against controversial Israeli settlements in the West Bank by refusing to open planned locations in the area. Israeli developers are criticizing the decision, saying the company has gone from a for-profit entity to an organization with an anti-Israel agenda. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Remember this program, our goal is to help you have a smarter life, a smarter love. And uh, one of the best ways to do that, I think, is to have a clue about what you're doing. It's a tough thing to fall in love. It's even a harder thing, I think, to stay in love and then to make a relationship like a marriage last it seems like it's even harder. And so we wanted to bring on an expert today. We've got Dr. Kelly Campbell. She's a Ph.D. assistant professor at the Department of Psychology and associate director for the Institute for Child Development and Family Relationship Relations uh, Sorry, at California State University, San Bernardino campus. And she is a pro. So we're going to invite her on. Dr. Campbell, are you with us? 
Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. It really, uh, this relationship thing, I mean, it, again, it seems like it should be so natural, right? It's just so yeah. natural. But, right. And part right. of it is, but then making it last, it's a, it's a different game. Yes, true. You, you it takes effort. Yeah, it takes effort. You kind of it's a choice. I, I mean, I, so let's get into this. First thing okay. I kind of want to know is um th- there's there's a big difference it seems like when you see a young buck or I mean an old buck for that matter, just a cute little couple maybe for example where you know the chemistry's firing, they can't necessarily see straight. But they're in love, and you, for example, as a parent, can't tell them anything different. What's going on there? Well, yeah, in those initial phases, when you first fall in love, everything in terms of your emotions are out of control. So you're not really thinking rationally. Um, Your body is responding to the presence of that person, and that's really dictating how you feel. You know, it's a very rewarding experience to be around them. You feel very euphoric. You can't stop thinking about them. In their absence, you're upset. You want to be close to them again. Um, and that's a biological reaction. And so that's what's going on initially. And that could last up to two years. You know? so yeah. It could last a long time. But it's really yeah. biology. It's, it's, it's chemistry, really. It's, it's, um, it's a chemical reaction more than it is a real state of – it's more than telling you anything real. It's sure. telling you something like it's, it's just chemistry. Sure, yeah. So with some people you might feel it, but if you don't have those other elements of chemistry, so you could have a biological reaction to someone. You could look at someone and say, wow, they're very attractive and I feel really attracted to them. But if there aren't the other elements of chemistry present, you might not make it to the being in love stage or to fostering that initial okay. relationship. So there's more than just the biology. I mean, biology yeah. can be driven by just simple sex drive, for example, right. and you're you're exposed to someone who you find attractive. But in order to really get to the in love stage, you need other components as well. What are some of the components then that make up kind of the in love chemistry? So one thing would be similarity. You know, researchers know that there can never be too much similarity. So the more things that you're actually matched on with that person, the greater likelihood that you'll foster a relationship with them. Oh, so interesting. Okay. Could be, yeah, it could be demographics or, you know, age, education level, um, race, those kinds of things. But it can also be similarity in terms of values, um, of course, shared interests, all those all those things you start talking about when you're getting to know someone, the more similar you are on those traits, then the more chances of success for it. Forming into a relationship, and and I guess um, yeah. So so it, it opens up the fact that it, does it does it allow you to release more chemistry? It seems like the closer and the more similar we are, it almost makes me safer to say okay, and my maybe subconsciously yeah. my my body will start even creating more chemistry. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the more similarity you start to discover about each other, the more you realize this person understands me, so they get me. And yeah. so then the more comfortable you feel even revealing more about yourself, which then leads to greater intimacy, so sure. that self-disclosure piece. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so similarity is a huge part of it. Yes. What else? Yes. And communication, too, like the, the manner in which you communicate. So some people, they're very effective, you know, personable yeah. um, communicators, so it just flows easily for them. They're good at active listening. They're empathetic. They're doing all the things that are encouraging the other person to want to talk to them, to self-disclose. Versus other people, they might need to develop those skills a bit more. It doesn't come as naturally to them. Right. So um, <clears throat> that could be as a result of their early experiences, their family experiences. They haven't had good models. They haven't had um, close friendships. So we develop those skills over time. So it's not something that's unchangeable, but 
certainly the people who have um, can communicate more easily are more comfortable with usually themselves. They communicate more easily or they value those um, social interactions. They're going to have an easier time experiencing chemistry compared to those hmm. people who still need to develop those skills. Yeah, I guess the communication is some way we have to convey to you who I am. And do I guess do you, do you sense that we tend to be drawn to people that communicate like us? Well, we do in the sense that, like, for instance, um, actually, this is in um, the June issue of uh, Women's Health this month. They were talking about my research, and one of the things they cared about is when we um, imitate, you know, the person we're with. And this was taken outside not only just couple relationships, but in, you know, uh, therapist-client relationships or in any context where you want the person to feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. If you mimic a person's body movement, so that's a nonverbal communication, then um, the person's more likely to feel comfortable with you. So, for instance, if you are, you know, sitting on a plane and you're meeting someone for the first time and you're feeling this um, sense of connection with them or, or let's say you're not too good at it and you want to develop this skill, if they're kind of leaning on their hand as they're talking, then if you do the same thing... Interesting, yeah. ...consciously, that's, that's, you know, forming a bond. It's forming a connection. It'll facilitate chemistry. So Isn't that so, yeah, crazy? Say, yeah. No, but yeah. I, it, we, you can almost see couples do it. When one leans in, another leans in. Mm-hmm. When right. one's arms are crossed, you might cross your arms. Or exactly. I mean, it's um, that's kind of rapport building, isn't it? It is rapport building. I mean, it can be strategic, but it can also happen without us Just, even being aware of yeah, it. But let's say if a person, you know, you need to develop that skill, at least being aware that this can um, function to, you know, create the bond. You can start to try to practice it a bit more. Yeah, you can also be seriously awkward. If you're trying to mimic somebody and it's like, that's not working. Why are you speaking yeah. in my tone? Why did you just raise your voice? Why are you wearing a dress? Um, I mean, all that stuff could get pretty messed up. So I guess help me on that because I can almost – and you see it in pop psychology all the time that they throw out a study and most of the time nobody really understands the study like the researchers did. And we kind of ruin the study and, and we start teaching everyone to mimic everyone. But mm-hmm. to some degree, it also has to be seen, I'm assuming, to create chemistry as genuine. Of course, yes. And I, what, what reads that? What, how do we read genuine in another person? Mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, I mean, that's what I was, that's really what initially drew me to the topic of wanting to study interpersonal chemistry is I suspected that people who know themselves really well and therefore they're comfortable in themselves uh-huh. um, are okay to reveal that true self to the world versus those people who don't know themselves very well. Well, they might be testing out possible selves, you know, presenting yeah. a false self, trying to, um, trying to conform to what they think that other person wants, and that's not genuine. So right. I would say the first step always in fostering a really good, solid relationship is know yourself really well because that enables you to be comfortable in yourself and to reveal your your true self, and that can change. It's like, yeah, you know, sure. Your true self can change over time, but just to stay in tune with yourself so that you're expressing your true self to the world, and and people will pick up on that, and they'll see that that's you know that's being genuine. So. Oh, that's a it really is uh, to know yourself. It gives you this inner peace, this inner confidence mm-hmm. to risk more. And and I, I'm assuming and we'll get into this, I'm sure, throughout the the interview, but. The risking is really the risking, and then honoring your partner's risk creates mm-hmm. more safety, more connection, more closeness, intimacy. Certainly, Certainly. powerful. Exactly. Yes, yes. That's what What are yes. some other core keys that you found to chemistry? And you're calling it interpersonal chemistry. Yeah. So between and two people. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I study it in the context of friendships and romantic relationships, but you could study it, you know, with with other, um, you know, in the workplace or other contexts as well. But um, similarity is key. Communication is key. If if you want to fake it and make it genuine, imitate. That, (laughs) That would work either way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the really important things when you're talking about romantic chemistry is attraction. So it's coming out as the number one factor across all the studies that I've done is just you need to find initially, if you're going to experience, you know, that romantic chemistry with a person, you have to find them physically attractive to begin with. Mm. And then, you know, that can get into other components of attraction over time. But initially, there's some spark in terms of you find this person attractive and you know, there have been studies done all over the world of what characteristics or qualities do we find physically attractive, like symmetry or things like um, that signal good health, you know, right. person's in good health. Um, if they're not coughing all over, yeah, they're not coughing yeah, no, up stuff true. all the time. Yeah, true. sure. Or the symmetrical features, even, you know, those those are indicators of health or the, you know, long hair with women, you know, that also signals good health. So the features that we value, and they can be tied to um, reproduction, too. So, for instance, um you know, with a woman's cycle, when she's fertile, she's going to value different traits in, in terms of physical attractiveness right. to the man than she is during other times of the month. So, Interesting. Yeah, that biological aspect plays into it as well. Do we, um, when we're dating, so if you're sitting there, Kelly, and you're out with your friends and you have a, a really good friend that's struggling finding their perfect match, mm-hmm. do you... Can, I guess we could end up overthinking our chemistry because it sounds like a lot of this just kind of happens naturally mm-hmm. versus contrived. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is it? Um, do you think you could actually go make this stuff happen? I think that you can create um, experiences that optimize the chances it will happen. Right. But I don't think that it will. That you can force it. Of course. Right. Like you know when you're. Speaking about the friend who's having problems finding a, a date or, or a partner, um, I always give the advice to work on oneself in that sense. And people always say, you know, I was looking for that person, I was actively dating, and then, you know, I met my spouse when I least expected it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's it's that element of saying, um, I'm going to work on myself, and then I'm going to trust, you know, that that person will come to me through you know, through life, through the universe, through God, whatever you want to, um, however you want to look at it. But if you're if you're not constantly searching for it, I feel like just work on yourself and it will come. Yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, you can get out of the house. You know, if you're yeah. not going to meet someone, if you're just staying home all the time. So. Do your hair so, yeah. and get out of that because it really does seem like um, if you are working on you, you start feeling more comfortable with you, and then you'll more naturally be right. an attractor. Versus somebody right. that's obviously right. uncomfortable and maybe is staying in the house or only exactly. going to work and leaving and dressing in a way that right. wouldn't attract anything. Right, exactly. And working on you also involves things like doing the hobbies you love the most. So if you're getting out to salsa class, you're right. going to meet people, but that's also something you love and that's working on yourself. So right. it's putting you in the context where you're going to meet people with a similar interest, which we already know is critical. So yeah, so yeah. it can happen either way, can't it? It's... Um, Mm-hmm. You can go out and look for it and make it happen. And I think part of it is that that's why it's interesting dating somebody in your group, dating somebody, you know, meeting your if you're a Democrat, meeting somebody at the Democratic convention, you're mm-hmm. already going to have some similarity. You know what I mean? You're going to have right. You're going to have right. stuff. And then also working on your skills, communication. Kelly, exactly. you are enlightening. 
These guys are lighting up here because they're all looking for love. They're just realizing it's been in the wrong places. Oh, yeah. I know. You see the wrong places. If you work on yourself, you're not even going to be attracted to people who don't match where your self-worth is at. So, you know, it's like when people say, you know, I keep dating the bad boy or the bad girl, whatever it is, that they're finding these partners who aren't treating them well. Well, first you have to treat yourself well. That's the first example of how the world is going to treat you is how you're treating yourself. Love so it. I think that, you know, that really will impact who you even tolerate in your life. You'll stop wanting those people who don't treat you well. See, Kelly, you know what? The Ph.D. has taught you a lot. <laughs> You're pretty smart. We're talking with Dr. Kelly Campbell, California State University, uh, San Bernardino. Um, off, what do they call that? Uh, school. Site. Oh, they call it CSUSB, which the acronym is quite difficult. That is. That's what I was, I was like. How am I going to say that? We'll be back with Dr. Kelly Campbell. She's helping us figure out how to create interpersonal chemistry. When we come back, we're going to get more into that. We're also going to take a deeper dive into flirting, see if we can figure out some of that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. A new way to look at the sun has a lot of holes in it. We'll tell you why that's a good thing. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Your grandparent may have a plastic magnifying sheet that helps them read small print. It's called a Fresnel lens. If you're nearsighted, take off your glasses. Make a pinhole through a sheet of cardboard about the size of a pencil point. Look through that. It's a lens made of air and through it you can see things in focus. The pinhole and the plastic sheet are both what we call diffractive optics. They bend and focus light without traditional glass lens shapes, and they can be really large, light, and thin. Now, a prototype lens with this principle called the Photon Sieve is being developed into an instrument for solar imaging by NASA's Goddard Center in the Air Force Academy, which will fly it on a tiny satellite next year. The sieve is a thin plastic sheet with millions of microscopic pinholes. It will try to do as good a job looking at the sun as a much larger, more expensive conventional instrument and may lead to more efficient Air Force recon satellites someday. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Listen to BYU Radio to color your world. Eric Dowdle is a renowned artist who paints pictures about unique cultures and locales every weeknight on BYU Radio. On Traveling with Eric Dowdle, you'll discover hidden gems through the eyes of locals, including the kinds of things you just can't miss. Listen to Traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Another great BYU Radio program to color your world. Find it on Sirius XM Channel 143. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Through the Garage Door is BYU Radio's look into rock and roll, where we play songs and the music we're passionate about. We need, the reason we listen to music is what it makes us feel. I mean, sure, it's, it's fun when music makes us think, but what, it, what we're really going for is what it makes us feel. Through the Garage Door airs on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern, only here on BYU Radio. 
On Thinking Aloud, you can hear host Marcus Smith talk with guests about a variety of topics. The subjects can range from superheroes to religion, sometimes even in the same conversation. One of the things that I have learned through studying superheroes and thinking about superheroes is that genuine spirituality is actually harder to do than a certain kind of orthodox religiosity. Join us for Thinking Loud at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Whether it's the big picture or the minute details, Marcus Smith loves to discuss anything and everything about the world around us. We're always talking about the big picture. The big picture is good to see. But I suspect that where we are lacking is in our capacity and our appetite to think about the smallest things. Start your day off with Marcus Smith on The Morning Show, weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on BYU Radio. Isn't it time for a little good on your Twitter feed? Follow us at BYU Radio to stay connected with BYU Radio hosts, to keep updated about your favorite shows, and to stay current on Cougar sports. Just follow BYU Radio on Twitter and keep talking about good. And thanks for listening to us here at BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ooh, we're doing it today. Today we are unlocking some of the science behind chemistry, falling in love, and uh, you know, creating a relationship that lasts. We've got an expert with us today, Dr. Kelly Campbell. She's a PhD from California State University, San Bernardino campus. And um, by the way, if you want, you can um, go find Kelly. Just look up on on Twitter and start following her, Dr. Kelly Campbell. Just search that on Twitter, and that's her Twitter handle, Dr. Kelly Campbell. Um, She's been doing a lot of research on interpersonal communication. So how or interpersonal chemistry. How do you create chemistry? Um, and how is chemistry kind of sustained? She's already been teaching us some of the keys are having some similarities, uh, things that we have in common, our ability to communicate and actually get, I guess, our messages across and having some emotional and some social skills and intelligence. Um, being able to imitate a little bit might help. Some interpersonal chemistry uh, also is is kind of about knowing yourself. She she pinpointed maybe the fastest way to to create and understand how to create chemistry with other people is you got to know yourself. So welcome back, Kelly, to the program. Yes. Good to have you. It's fun to have somebody that has has focused so deeply on on something that's seemingly so taken for granted, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's and it's so important because close relationships and and feeling as though we're understood is really important. I mean, those people who have that in their life, they're more healthy, they're more happy, they live longer, fewer diseases. So there's a lot of really important benefits. And so that's why I really care a lot about helping people to develop those connections. And you make a point, too, that this isn't just about dating and marriage. This is also, this is important if you're a grandma and you want to create a connection with your grandkids. Sure, yes. It's 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 in all relationships. Yes, it's in all relationships, even with strangers, even when you're going about your daily life and you're going to the grocery store, the bank, or, you know, just having those those moments of connection is really important. Does it work with a police officer when you've been pulled over? (laughs) (laughs) 
Does that going to fly? <laughs> I think you have to read the situation. Okay. You just be courteous and nice and, you yeah. know, hope for the best. <laughs> but should you ask, officer, are you thinking what I'm thinking? You probably shouldn't <laughs> no. ask that, should you? No. That'll get you in trouble every time. Um, the the funny thing about it, though, is uh, it seems like once the chemistry's there and you're feeling the vibe in a more of an intimate relationship and you're you're feeling like, hey, we're really tight. This is we're connected. This is working. And there's some attraction on top of it. It seems like flirting should come natural. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Flirting. So flirting is an interesting topic. And it's, you know, flirting, even if you look at, for instance, men and women, there's differences in how they flirt and why they flirt. So, yeah, you know, flirting within an intimate partnership. Um, yeah, that often might signal, you know, Remind your partner of your attraction to them. Yeah. You know, that's in the in the couple relationship. It's often used for that reason. It's um, it's funny because when I was in kindergarten, we would play kissing tag. Mm-hmm. But for me, it really I didn't want to be kissed. I would just outrun everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and for me, but so I didn't find that. But they were chasing me, and then I, and then my daughter came to me a while. Um, I don't know, probably seven years ago, talking mm-hmm. about how. She'd go play ping pong with some guy friends, and she loved it because she's a tennis player, and she'd school all of them. And then it got real aggressive, and they started hitting balls at her. And um, I'm like, well, those guys are jerks. And she's like, no, they were just flirting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Hitting a ball at a girl's flirting? But Mm -hmm. it might be, huh? Yeah, I mean, flirting happens in a variety of ways, and it's usually we're trying to signal that we are interested in that person. It doesn't have to be necessarily a sexual or romantic interest. It can be just, um, you know, I like you. I find your presence rewarding. And and oftentimes it can be used to signal they want more from that relationship. So if it's just a tennis partner, for example, and maybe they actually have a romantic interest, they can flirt to signal I want more than just, you know, tennis. Yeah. So, so it can be used to do that, too. But it's used to build connection. It's used for a variety of, of reasons, to get favors, lots of different reasons people could flirt. It seems like um, flirting is hard because the, the flirt is not only in the sender, but the receiver. The sender has to mm-hmm. send it as a flirt and intend it as such, but the receiver right. also has to pick up on it. A lot of times sure. it seems yeah. like relationships fail because one or the other is not reading the flirt. Yes, actually, and that's where we get at that gender difference. So oftentimes men will interpret a flirt as romantic interest or Uh sexual interest, whereas a woman interprets a flirt more as just for fun, you know, so something that just makes makes the interaction more fun than it otherwise would be. Oh, man, Kelly, that drives guys crazy. (laughs) Because <laughs> she's like, he's like, hey, maybe we got to go out or something. She's like, yeah, that'd be fun sometime, hypothetically, in the future, in a year. Right, right. He's, he's like, no, seriously, tonight. What are you doing tonight? <laughs> you missed my flirt. I couldn't hit right. you between the eyes harder. Right, yeah. And sometimes they're more overt than others. So yeah. there's all different kinds. And, you know, and it, and it varies cross-culturally, too. Oh, does it? But, yeah, like things like let's say um let's say you're out in a restaurant and the person who's serving you wants to flirt with you or to signal that they have some sort of interest. They might stand too close or maybe touch your arm. Right. So have these little signals, but let's say if we take that into a different culture, well the proximity with which you stand next to someone can be interpreted very different and it could be offensive or you know, so and even That's... 
like eye contact. That's like our num- one of our number one yeah. ways of communicating interest. So in some cultures, that can um, signal dominance and um, aggression, different, different things. No, so, that's true. I once yeah. did, a, I did a workshop with a group of um, Native Americans in Tuba City, Arizona. And I asked okay. them to, okay, will you all just turn to each other? And what we're going to do is for five minutes, we're not going to talk. We're just going to look into each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do it. Like culturally, right. you don't look into someone else's eyes. Right. And right. I'm like, come on, man up. But it's <laughs> but culturally, there's a lot of these. I, I just had a client yesterday that was talking about how he has a, a coworker that just came from ABYU a different HD2 Provo. BYU Radio's toll-free number to your phone contacts and be ready to chat with us anytime. Our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. Whether you add your opinion to the morning show or ask Matt Townsend a question, we want to hear what you have to say. Again, our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. That's 855-242-8298. Call us. It looks like a sci-fi movie special effect, but it seems to burn away leukemia while leaving healthy cells intact. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. If you pass by a novelty store, you'll probably see a strange kind of purplish globe or light bulb that has what looks like weaving tendrils of lightning dancing inside of it. You're looking at a toy gizmo called a plasma globe. But that toy has a cousin that's a bit more serious. It went to med school. And what it learned was it might be very effective at killing leukemia cells without hurting the rest of a body. Leukemia is a cancer of blood-producing tissue. It's a serious killer of children, and to fight it is possible, but it takes therapies like chemotherapy, radiation treatment, even bone marrow transplants. That's tough on a kid. But now imagine, instead of those methods, just shining a beam of what looks like purple lightning at the cancer without the patient feeling a thing. Researchers at Old Dominion University in Virginia have shown that a beam of cold plasma somehow triggers leukemia cells to self-destruct, but the beam seems harmless against nearby normal cells. Cold plasma beams can also disinfect wounds and may someday treat Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. On Talkworthy, host Kim Power Stilson chats with experts about topics of interest. And it seems like everyone learns something new. Yeah, and I think that was interesting, too, because there are some, there were some courses in Scotland when I visited that did not allow women golfers, but not no longer. Really? Yeah. See, I came down to the show to learn more about it than you did. <laughs> Talkworthy airs weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. I think that we need to draw these connections every single day. Get your day started off on the right foot. The Morning Show with Marcus Smith. Weekdays on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. World issues can be complex and oftentimes confusing. The percentage saying that he's more pro-Israel went down from 31% to only 6 It fell a few months later, only 4%. The poll had a margin of error of 4.5%, which if you think about it, is almost mathematically impossible. 
that meant that there were people who hadn't even been born yet who had a problem. Learn from the experts by listening to Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. Success for the Senate immigration bill today, with overwhelming bipartisan support helping pass the measure. If the bill is passed in the House, millions of undocumented immigrants will have a new path to citizenship. The 19-year-old Chechen man suspected of helping carry out the Boston Marathon bombing is being officially charged with a 30-count indictment today, including the murders of the four people who were killed due to the attack. Edward Snowden is not a top priority for the Obama administration. In a statement earlier today, President Obama said the U.S. has not been working to make any deals to get the NSA leaker back. The president also defended the legality of NSA surveillance programs that Snowden revealed. Texas Governor Rick Perry took a personal shot at State Senator Wendy Davis today, asserting she has not learned from her own example as the child of a single mother. Davis staged a 13-hour filibuster to run out the clock on a restrictive abortion bill Perry supports earlier this week. Former New England Patriots player Aaron Hernandez is appealing a judge's order he be held without bail while waiting to face murder charges. Police officials are also looking into a possible connection between Hernandez and a 2012 double murder. In world news, as the Syrian civil war rages on, United Nations investigators are in neighboring Turkey to seek evidence about the possible use of chemical weapons in the ongoing conflict. U.S. officials and several European nations have already concluded the Syrian regime has employed these weapons. Fast food chain McDonald's is taking a stand against controversial Israeli settlements in the West Bank by refusing to open planned locations in the area. Israeli developers are criticizing the decision, saying the company has gone from a for-profit entity to an organization with an anti-Israeli agenda. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. And we've brought in a highly trained ninja, a relationship ninja straight from the great university of Cal State University, San Bernardino campus. Dr. Kelly Campbell is joining us. And she's trying to teach us about the chemical side of our relationships. How do you create a real interpersonal chemistry? And she's also going to teach us right now how to make it last. Dr. Kelly Campbell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Good to have you back. And again, you, you need to, everybody needs to go follow Kelly. Just look up Dr. Kelly Campbell. That's her Twitter handle. Doctor is DR, I'm assuming, right, Kelly? Yes. Yes. Dr. Kelly Campbell, that's her Twitter, Twitter handle. And she will, she's just, she's published a ton and um, really knows what she's talking about. We've so far pretty much covered a few ideas. Interpersonal chemistry, you can create it. There is an equation. It's Mm -hmm. usually done a little bit more naturally, but it might be good if you know some of the uh, signs to look for, like similarity, communication, stuff like that, attraction, um, imitation. But then... And then that would generally, the chemistry would generally lead us to kind of do some more communication, which I guess is flirting, right? It's the, 
It's, yeah. it's trying to keep fostering those good, yummy feelings uh, that we get when we're in love. Once we're in love, though, it seems like um, it, it's kind of easy to let it just kind of dissipate and we lose the chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and you even said, I mean, I guess there's even a, a shelf life for it, right? I mean, does chemistry fade? Yeah. Yeah, chemistry, um, I mean, chemistry might always be there. You might just need to add activities into your life that reignite that spark. So yeah. the euphoric state of being in love certainly can fade. I mean, for some, there have been amazing studies looking at the brain in love and, and um, people in those early phases of a romantic relationship compared to people who've been married about 20 years or more. And it's been found that about 5% of those in the long-term relationships are still experiencing the same biological reaction. So it's a small percentage of people can still have that euphoric um, biological reaction. 5% can kind of keep the fire just stoked and burning. Right. The the rest of us kind of have to just keep, you know, throwing a little fuel on the fire. Right. And so we're still going to get, we're still going to have moments of of feeling that way. It's just not as intense as those people, you know, the 5%. But, um, but we can do things. I mean, in our long-term relationships, we value two things. We really value the stability and the security of being with that person. Yeah. So the predictable nature, you know, this person accepts and loves me. But then the other thing we really value to keep things satisfying and exciting is the novelty and those unique experiences that we have together that are different from the everyday. So things will get very boring if we don't insert some degree of spontaneity or some degree of, you know, let's do this new activity that we've never done before, but we both really want to do it. And that can keep the spark alive over time. It's interesting because it's paradoxical. And that's probably why we don't succeed mm-hmm. as much, because you're saying it, it has to be a, a kind of the perfect balance between highly predictable, kind of trustworthy st- stability, yet mm-hmm. novel. Right. So that's you're, exactly you're right. balancing the predictable and the novel. So it's got to be new enough, yet... Mm-hmm. We know it's coming. Yet, oh, right. make, it, make mean, it fun, make it new. Right. Yet it's coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people need that more than others. So some people really need a lot of novelty, whereas others don't need as much. Yeah. But certainly the most satisfying long-term relationships, they have both. They're not going to have, you know, it, it needs to have some newness to it, and um, as well as that predictability that gives you the comfort. So, yeah, yeah it's a balance of those two. It's uh, it's funny because I have so many people that, that you know, you know, we... We want more intimacy in our marriage, but like I don't want to schedule it. Mm-hmm. That they so they're, right. they're basically crying. I want novelty. I want it interesting, exciting. Mm-hmm. Yet we also get really frustrated if if it's not kind of predictable. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that's the that's the equation of a long term love. Then, huh? Is understanding each other enough to know how to balance that? Yeah, and when you say, you know, that people don't want to schedule things when they're in this long term, I mean that they want some degree of spontaneity. So. What couples can do in that case, and a lot of times their lives are very busy. So, you know, both are working full-time jobs. They have kids. There's a lot of things in the house that need to get balanced, and there seems to be no time. So one thing they can do, they don't have to schedule the precise activity, but they can schedule the time. So they can say, you know, if it's going to be once a week or however often they can do it, they say, all right, these five hours, these six hours, these eight hours, that's just devoted to us. And yeah. then the activity, it doesn't have to be planned. You can decide at that very moment what do you all feel like doing. You know, it doesn't have to be planned in advance, but at least you've set, set aside the time to make something happen. I, I think that's the key, huh? Because then, yeah. then, then you can get all creative and novel and spontaneous, mm-hmm. but at least 
we know we're going to have some time together. A lot of times you just hear people say, yeah, that'd be great. I'm, we're just out of time. Well, yeah. yeah, you do. In about three months, you know you're going to need a date. <laughs> so right. you, actually you need one this week anyway. But if we put it out three months and schedule that we're going to have a date regularly, mm-hmm. um, then it's already on the planner. It's already scheduled. Yeah, it's already scheduled. And you can still incorporate, you know, a degree of spontaneity when you plan something that you've never yeah. done before. I mean, that that's something different. So if you both know that, why not let's go try, you know, bungee jumping or skydiving, you know, that could be, you know, a really crazy experience that lasts, that carries the couple for quite some time. You know, I can't believe we did that. And you have pictures of it and whatever it is. Yeah. Um, or it could be something more regular, you know, that you both have never uh, learned to cook and you've always wanted to. And so you enroll in a cooking class that you know is going to happen every week. And so you're going to be going there every week together or some, you know, um, like a a walk, getting out fresh air. You know, it's going to be a beach time or it's going to be going to the gym and taking this class, whatever it is. But you're scheduling it in to have that time together. I read somewhere, and I'm sure you're way familiar with the research so you can edify us on it. Um, Mm -hmm. Isn't it if... So if I go do something novel and new, and I'm doing it with the per- a person I love that I'm committed to, even if we don't have like this intense chemistry today, if both of us, for example, go jump out of an airplane, mm-hmm. or I'm the, I just jumped out of an airplane and my wife is there to basically catch mm-hmm. me when I get down, right? And we share it, right? My body will attach some of that chemistry to that person. That's absolutely right. And that's why you see that dating shows will often put people in these exhilarating experiences for their first date because it's called excitation transfer. So we have this, where I'm from, I'm from Vancouver, Canada. We have this famous study that took place there along a big suspension bridge. Uh-huh. I remember this, yeah. Yes, Capilano Suspension Bridge. So if people met someone on that bridge, then they were more likely to want to have a date with that person versus if they met the person on this stable, you know, yeah, um, sturdy. solid, sturdy bridge. Yes, exactly. So it's transferring that uh, that sense of arousal that we experience, the ex- exciting experience. We transfer it on to that person. We believe, we attribute it to them. We think it's because of them. You we know, even, and we even find, yeah. so the study was, so they'd cross the, the, the difficult, unsturdy bridge. Mm-hmm. And if they had a, a really um, attractive uh, person on the other side of the bridge asking questions, yeah. that energy, that excitement would be transferred to that person and there would be an attraction even more so Right. Than if either they weren't attractive or it was a more stable bridge. Yeah, compared to you know meeting the exact same person, so they're randomly assigning these people That's to amazing. the different conditions. But the people are meeting the same attractive uh, research assistant on the sturdy bridge, <laughs> but they're less likely to, yeah. to want to have a date. Or she to, wants to me. Me. I know she wants yeah. me. I about died back there. She totally <laughs> likes me. You know what, Kelly? That makes us as humans sound so silly. We're so predictable, aren't we? Which is why this is chemical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we compare it. We have to look at the animal kingdom, you know, sometimes to to compare ourselves to help explain our behaviors. Oh, man, that is just funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you really want to have someone fall in love with you and you're single, put them through a really terror uh, driven (laughs) kind of experiment and then look your best and then ask them a bunch of questions. (laughs) And look your best. (laughs) Isn't that that's great. Now, um, there, so, so one key is uh, being able to balance kind of the novel and the spontaneous along with the um, kind of predictable, mm-hmm. which, which is, you know, we, we also want to just know that our partner's not going to cheat on us. That's where the predictability comes in, that we're safe, that we're not going to be harmed, that they're not going to do something that's going to really upset the apple cart. Well, what else do we do to, kind of, to keep the love alive day to day? 
in our relationship. So many things. Yeah. So one of the main things I study is couple rituals and there are so many different types of couple rituals that we've identified in both um, unmarried couples and married couples. And um, those can be really simple daily things like how do you say good morning? Do you, you know, there, there can be different ways we say good morning that we <laughs> yeah. say good night. Uh, when you get home, what do you do? You know, some people, they have a way of greeting one another. Just And that happens every single day. It could be also things like um, when you're apart during the, the workday, how are you communicating with one another? Are you sending little emails? Do you have instant messenger? Do you have text messaging? What are you doing? Maybe you call every lunch break. So all these various things, they happen on a daily basis, but those are rituals, and couples do them in different ways. And it's meaningful. The way that they enact those predictable behaviors on a, on a daily basis that provides comfort to the relationship that reinforces the couple's identity to each other because they have their unique way of doing it. Yeah. So those are just, you know, daily rituals. But And that that's are... a that that's something too. I guess that's a predictor, right? So if we can keep mm-hmm. if we can keep our hello I call those the hellos and goodbyes, how we say hi, how we say goodbye. The, I mean the mm-hmm. funny thing, like the morning, how we wake up. Do we wake up and mm-hmm. hold each other for a few minutes before we get mm-hmm. going? Or do we just ignore each other till we're leaving? <laughs> I mean, all of these things add up and really what it is is it's it's almost in and of themselves each of them might not be that satisfying but they are it's a moment to connect in predictably right and it's a moment to show that you know your partner so so you might have you know when the couple who wakes up and they hold each other for a few moments to welcome in the day that's that sounds you know beautiful and great compared to when you say this couple that doesn't greet each other well maybe there's actually still a very meaningful interaction going on there maybe they mm-hmm. know each other very well they're not morning people and so they still have something going on like they might you know come downstairs and and one person has prepared the coffee and there are the coffee right. bags they're not speaking but there's a meaningful connection yeah. going on so they know their partner. They've learned their preferences, and that emerges through their interactions and over time. And, and and the way you know, you know, do you have a couple ritual is if you imagine not doing it, would it make a difference to you? So if you imagine one morning waking up and you don't hold your partner or you don't see the coffee mug on the table, well, probably you would miss that. And so right. then we know that's a ritual. That's something meaningful to us. That's yeah. powerful. And do you um, do you sit down? Like with my clients, I suggest they have like a, a, a structured conversation about what and kind of formalize their rituals so they actually mm-hmm. know what they are. Like, mm-hmm. did you know that how important that is when you hand me the towel or when you right. do this or when you do that? And and then all of a sudden it, it seems more, it seems more like an actual formal moment of connecting. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, expressing that gratitude and showing that you appreciate it, that, that um, behavior has meaning for you. It speaks volumes when you tell your partner that, but, to get at, you know, to sit down and have that formal conversation, I, I want to mention that some rituals require a lot of planning. So you yeah. can't just simply enact them without thinking. There are some things like, um, you know, taking your annual vacation together or um, the way you're going to celebrate Christmas or a birthday or something that actually you want to learn your partner's preferences. You need to have an explicit discussion about it. And some rituals even change over time. You know, a couple might have developed a ritual and, you know, maybe they're going for breakfast every Sunday to this one restaurant. And over time, they don't even really enjoy that experience anymore. Well, it's pretty important that they realize both need to enjoy the experience in order yeah. to keep enacting it. So without those discussions and conversations, you know, you could be enacting behaviors that seem like an obligation now. So you want to maybe adapt them or change them um, to be satisfying to both of the partners. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, the The power of the ritual, it seems like to me, is that we we both have something now we've negotiated in a way and 
but that is meaningful. Like you said, it's, we should miss it. It seems like at the passing or the death of a partner, um, it's, it might be the ritual that is the thing you really miss. And it's the moments sure. you keep remembering them throughout the day. Absolutely. That is so true. Yes. And going through all those things that you've gone through as a couple. So whether it's, um, you know, that you always used to go grocery shopping together. So doing those actions now without your partner or getting through a holiday that you always had your partner there for. So the first year is bound to be the most difficult when you're uh, when you've lost a partner. And that doesn't even have to be through death. It can be through breakup, too. And yeah. so um trying to get through those things and you're repatterning, you know, you're redeveloping how it's going to get done now that you don't have your partner to do those rituals with. On the positive side, rituals can get you through, you know, transition and crisis. So, so when things are upside down, let's say if, you know, um, a family member's ill or, or, um, or if you're in the midst of a breakup, then still enacting those daily rituals that are predictable to you provide a sense of comfort and Mm -hmm. will actually facilitate your transition through that really rough period. So, when things are upside down and chaotic, just remember, continue to enact your rituals, and that will give you a sense of comfort and help you get through that period. It's yeah, Exactly. And it seems like in those moments of the, uh, where the ritual resides, there might also be little pockets of added chemistry, added connection, mm-hmm. uh, right? It kind of, maybe that's like the reservoir, huh? Yeah, sure. And I even, I remember one, um, a friend of mine told me that when she went through a breakup, it was her dog that got her through it. The way her dog got her through it is because every single day that she got home from work, she was forced to take her dog to the dog park or go out for a walk. And that was um, when she was doing that. Every single day she did that. And she would connect with the other people who had dogs, and they would be doing the exact same thing. And she ended up meeting, you know, a new romantic partner that way. So sometimes these rituals, they can foster the chemistry that leads to a new relationship. It's interesting. By the way, Kelly, that's why dog is man's best friend. (laughs) <laughs> because dogs are highly ritualistic, aren't they? They'll meet you by the door. They yeah. do the same thing. They'll bring you the leash. I mean, they're you know, they're so predictably teach, there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And they can teach us a lot. I mean, look at the way they greet us. If we can greet totally. our romantic partner with that yeah. much enthusiasm, yeah. the way that they greet us. You don't have to lick each other, but you could just, <laughs> but like, if, like, seriously, when you come home and no one seems to know, hey, I'm home. And everyone's like, blah. Good stuff. <laughs> Kelly Campbell, you're the best. So appreciate your insight. Really, you've taught us a ton. Oh, I'm so happy to have joined you. It's really great. We're going to have you back on because I have a feeling we're going to need some more help once we all forget what you've taught us. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to come back on. Again, Kelly Campbell is an assistant professor um, at California State University San Bernardino campus. Go check out uh, her on Twitter. Go to Dr. Kelly Campbell on Twitter and uh you can get more education and information there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Be right back and answer your questions from the Internet. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Is the room you're in too noisy or too quiet? It turns out some noise is good for you. But how much? This is Innovation Now bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Ever find yourself saying, it's too loud to hear yourself think? Scientists from the University of British Columbia and University of Virginia investigated that idea to see how noise levels can affect your creativity as well as your behavior as a consumer. It appears that there is a sort of Goldilocks range. Not too loud, not too quiet. That's the sweet spot for both. Counter to expectations, silence may not be golden here. People in the studies did less well at creative tasks in a dead silent room 
compared to a room with a moderate amount of human speech noises. The slight distraction from noise was found to free people's minds to think more creatively. The best results came from a peak noise level around 70 decibels, about the level inside your car while driving on a highway. But too much of a good thing is bad for concentration. 85 decibels and up makes thinking harder! <clears throat> the research has marketing applications as well. It showed that people in a store with a little noise would tend to try new products more, but loud stores kill sales. For Innovation Now, this is, <clears throat> this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to wrap up the show, and uh, what better way to do it than to uh, go to our segment, uh, what do we call it then, Robbie? The Internet Asks. And? And Matt Answers. Ding, 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 ding. See, I remembered it. And we have an update from earlier this week, Oh, too. good, yes. Let's hear you Remember it. that couple who he had, they, they were dating somewhere in the America's heartland. She had an opportunity to go to Kansas City yes. to school. He had an opportunity to go San to San Fran. Francisco. And for, have his, his, for his dream job. Making video games. But they were kind of heartbroken. Said, oh, I don't yeah. know. I'm in Kansas City and you're going to be in. The... If you loved me, you wouldn't leave. If you <laughs> love me. Yeah. Well, they decided to be adults. And he sat down and he said, I, I realized earlier that we were both kind of stonewalling on this. But my taking this job doesn't change the way I feel about you. I just – but I got to take this job. This is essential to our future so and he, our – Life. He's decided to take it. She's decided to give a shot at a long-distance relationship. And so far, everything's good. See? It works. Then, if they listen to today's show, they can learn about chemistry, flirting, and rituals. We can change the the segment name to The Internet Asks Matt Solves. Matt changes your life forever. That doesn't quite have the same. It sounds really arrogant. I don't think we've ever done that. We've changed their life for a week. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, in three months from now, the long-distance thing will have spiraled out now of control. Now we broke so it. That's, all that's right. Let's see whose life's going to be changed today. Well, the question is, does time really heal all wounds, like the saying says? Huh. It's been a year ago since this person broke up with her absolutely perfect boyfriend who she just can't get over. It's a clean break. They, clean they, break. Sort of. No, There's no, no such involved. thing. There's no such thing. Yeah. Okay. No such thing. But it's been just you know, it's like any time you break up. It's a roller coaster, and there you know, there's a little bit of I suppose drama that pops up. But she still wants to be with this guy. He just still doesn't want to be with her, and she just can't stop thinking about him. Helplessness, mm. feeling alone, all that jazz. Wow, that's sad. Does time heal all wounds? No. It seems to me that, in my experience anyway, you can only get over someone so much until there's someone else that comes into your life to yeah, replace them. That That's certainly helps. So if if she sits there every day for the next seven years thinking the same thoughts, uh, regurgitating in her mind this, the experiences, bemoaning the fact that he's gone – never moving forward in her head, then she'll never move forward in her healing. You'll never heal more than you've moved your head, right? So your thinking has to change. Something has to change, which is why when Ben says another person coming in is going to help you heal, 
It does because it just distracts you again. But it's a sign of progress. So what she needs to do, if she, I'll guarantee you, if she's still there stewing over the guy, um, she probably, she's at this point now creating her pain. I'm not saying he wasn't a great guy and she, they may have missed the boat, but the reality is, is he didn't choose her. So you got some choices. Be mad, which some people do. And I know people that are mad from, and they're divorced and they're, and I hate men, hate them. And they go off and they're never going to talk to another man again. Or you reframe it and we have to turn it into something else. So what she might want to do is take the truth that she learned from this guy. What's the feedback she got? And go and make a plan. Some of the research in change and creating a healthier change in life is you got to have a plan. And if we have a plan, like, okay, so one thing he complained about was the fact that I was too needy and too attached and I could never let go of things. That's why he needed to let me go. (laughs) Holy cow, it's still happening. But maybe what we ought to do is figure out, okay, I probably need to go get a little therapy to figure out why I can't move on from things. Maybe I have a little anxiety because my mom had it, my grandma had it, my great-grandma had it, and I know I feel anxious a lot, so I wonder if I've got it. And so then what I do is I then take my anxiety and I just obsess about what I lost. (laughs) All of that's going on. So maybe she ought to go look at that. Or And I'm not saying that's what this one has, but there's something that if she goes and builds a plan and starts improving and working on, I bet you she'll start to gain confidence. Like our earlier uh, guest, Dr. Kelly Campbell, says, when we become stronger, when we become healthier, we become more attractive. We also become we – be, we become a better attractor, but we also become whole. What she keeps doing, and I promise you, it's her ego. It's her natural ego that wants to keep her in this weak position. The great inside uh, essence of this woman knows she's better than just letting a breakup with a guy kill her for the rest of her life. That's her ego that says, see, you're no good. You never were good. You were dumb. You're not pretty. If he loved you, you would. In the end, her heart, her spirit, her essence is saying, come on, woman. Pick yourself up. Let's let's go be who we are. Let's go bring our light out. So I'd suggest she – she go focus on what she knows she needs to do and start building a plan. If she knows she needs to lose a little anxiety, let's go work on it. If she knows she needs to start getting out there, start dating a little bit more, let's get out there. Folks, life is to be loved. There's chemistry to be had. I think we've learned it. <sighs> Another angel got its wings. Beautiful moment every time that happens. Thanks, everybody. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We love having you here. We also love uh, bringing some light into your life. Remember, it's not all bad. There is a lot of good out there, and you are the things that are great. So thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. Join us then. You're listening to BYU Radio.